Good morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Some of y'all are, is everybody decorated? Anybody not decorated yet at home? <laughs> That's all right. It, it, it'll come whether you decorate or not. So, um, well, this morning uh, we are going to begin a series uh, focused on the Christmas story as told through Scripture. And uh, our, our goal for this series, we're going to do, be going through for the next four weeks. Uh, as we, uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to be walking through the Christmas story. We're going to be looking at different individuals in the story with this question. What could we bring? Um, does anybody have someone in your family that is the most frustrating person to buy for? Because it just, either they have everything or uh, when you get them something, they already have it. And it just drives you nuts. Maybe not your family, maybe friends, maybe coworkers. You know, my dad is the absolute worst when it comes to this. And I love the man, but he is the absolute worst when it comes to Christmas. And the reason is he'll mention, he's done this past where he'll mention like a book he wants. He's a really big reader. And so he, I remember one year he did that to me. He mentioned a book that if I ever come across it, he would uh, pick it up for him and then he would really like it. So I thought, well, Christmas is coming, so that will be my Christmas gift to him. And so I bought this book and I got it all wrapped. I was so excited to give it to him. And as he went to go open the present and unwrapped it. He, he played along just fine, uh, as good preachers do. He goes, oh, well, thank you. Now I have a matching copy. Um, he already went and got the book. That's why my dad, from then on, gets gift cards. Um, and there are people in our life that are hard to buy for because it's like, what do they need? I mean, what can they seem to have everything. And so we probably get them gift cards too. And this is where this question came about as we're looking at Christmas and, and giving gifts, because it is a, a great thing as Christians to be givers, is what could we possibly bring and gift to a God who has everything? And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different individuals that are part of what we call the Christmas story. This morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And we're going to begin with the mother of Jesus Christ, Mary. Next week, we'll look at Joseph. Then we'll spend time on the shepherds and finally with the wise, wise men. And we're going to see what these individuals gifted to God in the Christmas story. And it's going to help us understand what we can gift to God, not just in this time of Christmas, but every day of our life. I also pray that we'll gain a deeper understanding of this story and what God is wanting us to learn from these individuals. So we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 26 through 38 if you have your Bibles or whatever thing you're using to read God's Word. But the Word of the Lord says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. <clears throat> and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our passage begins with a time stamp in verse 26, in the sixth month. And we can know what this time stamp is referring to if you jump down to verse 36. And it speaks about Elizabeth being with child in her six months. So it's referring to, it's been six months since Elizabeth has been told that John the Baptist is going to be born. And so we understand that this is happening in Mary's life. And she's coming to understand that God is moving. God is up to something we're also told a few things about Mary. The first thing is verse 27, that she is a virgin. That is to speak of not just her sexual nature, but also of her purity. We're told that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was the house of David. Now, to be betrothed in the Bible holds a lot of similarities to our engagement process today, except it called for a little more intensity. When an individual is betrothed, there are a lot of things went into it. In the Bible, marriage was not something that was given to the heart of emotions. It was usually a fixed uh, marriage or fixed uh, party coming together by the parents. So the, the father of the bride and the father of the groom would say, hey, let's link our kids together, we'll link our families together, and some sort of deal was made, usually when they were young children. So it lets us know that Mary probably knew she was going to marry Joseph for a very long period of time. This was, in the Bible, the engagement period, when they were already linked together. In the engagement period, a marriage could be broken. You could call it off at any point in time. But when the Jewish man became 20 years of age, that would be considered an adult, then it would move to the betrothal period. And so if the wedding was not called off before the Jewish man became of age, then in the Jewish society, the man and the woman were already considered husband and wife. And you could not break that off unless there was some sort of unfaithfulness. Now, because of history, we can know that Mary is most likely a mid-teenager. And Joseph is at least at the age of 20. And so once this agreement had been made and they lived out that engagement period and then they came to the betrothal period, they were considered married in the Jewish society. Hence, when we go to the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband. The only thing is there was no sexual encounter going on. They didn't live together. But the society said that is the husband and that is the wife. And then eventually the marriage would uh, be consummated after a year of being betrothed together. It was only in the engagement they could break it off. When they were betrothed, you could only break it off if someone was unfaithfulness. And this is something that Joseph is going to have to wrestle with when it comes to what is happening with Mary. Mary and Joseph would have known each other for a long time. They would have been getting ready to spend the rest of their lives together. They'd enter into the serious part of their relationship. And so we come to this place where Mary said, I'm marrying a man. She's in a binding contract. And in her culture... She would be considered a blessed woman because of the man she was marrying. Joseph being from the house of David, meaning that he was from royal lineage. The Gospel of Matthew says that he was a just man, which means he was a righteous man. He lived by the word of God. He wanted to please God and wanted to please man. And so when Mary is set in this arrangement, she is blessed in her society but we also see in the midst of the description of who she is, what God wants us to bring to him, and that is our humanity. And it might not seem like much, but Mary 
has a choice to make here in this situation. I think we forget about that when we read the Christmas story, that these are human beings having to deal with choices in real-life situations. To speak of our humanity in Scripture means that we are created in the image and likeness of God. God has created you in, your, in his image and in his likeness, and he defines you. He gives you your purpose, not the world, not your friends, not your coworkers. God does that. And God, in creating us as human beings in his image and likeness, he has given us the responsibility to take care of his creation and to take care of his creatures. But our humanity also speaks of our sinful nature. The Bible says that all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of his holiness, of his perfection, of his righteousness. We have thoughts that are sinful. We have things in our hearts that are sinful. We say things and think things that are sinful. So humanity, when we're speaking about Mary here, is to speak about our free will. It's to speak about our choice. Mary's at a very young stage in her life, and she is about to be encountered with a major choice that is going to change things. She's going to have to choose whether or not she is going to agree with God's plan and get alongside God's plan, which is going to cause some major disruptions in her life. She's going to have to choose whether or not to bring conflict into this engagement, this betrothal period with Joseph. Up to this point, we're told Mary had already made a choice to live a life pleasing to God by remaining a virgin until she was married. But in this moment in the Gospel of Luke, Mary's going to have to make a choice whether or not to believe the Lord in the message and the plan that he was delivering to her through the angel. See, when it comes to the Lord, we bring our humanity. He wants us to choose him. The Lord has given us the ability to choose right from wrong, to choose good from evil, to choose sin from righteousness. The Lord gives us his word to guide us through those choices, but we still wrestle with sin. We still have the problems of choosing whether or not to listen to what God is telling us, to, to submit to what God is telling us, to obey what God is telling us. God gives us the choice. And in those choices, we produce either sin or righteousness, evil or good. This is why it's a gift from God. And we don't actually give free choice, gift back to God, but through that free choice, that free will, what God wants us to do is to choose him. In our humanity, we have the ability and the freedom to choose God or not. This is where Mary is in the Gospel of Luke. She has a major choice to make. And I think sometimes we forget the human aspect of these individuals in the Scripture and the Christmas story. We, we, we may read it and think, well, Mary was automatically all in. But you notice she has questions. She, she understands at least what is happening and how this is going to impact her. You know, in some traditions, there are people who call Mary a saint. In some traditions, there are people who actually pray to Mary and are told to pray to Mary. You'll never find that in Scripture. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, not Mary. Mary was a sinful person, even though she was a virgin. She was still a sinful person in need of a Savior. And like us, with our own sin, we're left with this choice Trust God, submit to God, or not. 
The second thing we see in our passage and what we can give is through our humanity, we also bring our lack of understanding. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her what was about to take place, Mary's response in verse 34 was, How will this be since I am a virgin? Which lets us know something about Mary. She's not ignorant, right? She knows how things work. She knows that in order to have a child, she's supposed to be with a man, but she also knows I've never been with a man because I've been trying to live my life pleasing to God. She knows that something has to take place that has not taken place, and she's already betrothed to Joseph. But when the angel explains it, when the angel says what God is about to do and is wanting to do through Mary, and he uses her relative, some, some translations say cousin Elizabeth, say, look, she's old, but she's having a child because God is moving. Notice what Mary says. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She had this lack of understanding. She couldn't wrap her head around how this was going to take place. But when the angel, the messenger of God, spoke the word of God to her, she says, all right, I'm in now. I may not fully understand it. I may not get it. I may not know how this is all going to play out. I may not know how it's going to impact my current situation in my current life, but I'm in. The Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways, that his ways are far beyond ours. It tells us that, you know, even if we were to study the Word of God every day of our life, every minute of our life, we would never unravel the full mysteries of who God is. The Bible says that God's wisdom is far beyond our comprehension, that God's will sometimes will not make sense in our life and in our mind. For some, this is the reason that they can't trust God because they have questions, and so they fall away from a belief in God. There are many who get caught up in the questions of how and why, and that's kind of what Mary's doing here. But they do it in such a way that it keeps them from ever believing. But this is part of our lack of understanding. We are never going to have it all figured out. You will never have it all figured out. You do not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. So we bring our lack of understanding towards God. And the Bible teaches us through Mary right here, it's not wrong to ask questions. Where it's wrong in asking questions if we don't seek after the truth through the Word of God. As believers, we must believe that God is God, and being God, He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, and He's all-present. Those are theological terms for those. When we say that God is all-knowing, we say that He is omniscient. When we say that God is all-power, we say that He is uh, all-omnipotent. When we say He's all-present or He's eternal, we're saying that God is omnipresent. And the beauty of this for us at Christmas in our everyday life is we don't have to have it figured out. We bring God our weaknesses. We bring God our lack of understanding. And in our weaknesses and lack of understanding, God delivers his strength. So we bring our humanity. We bring our lack of understanding. And what God does is he uses those so he might be glorified through us. This is why it's so good when when someone asks you to be a part of something in the church, a part of a ministry, whether it's children's church or the nursery, a part of the student ministry, or just teaching a Bible study, and you say, I don't think I can do that. That's perfect. That means that you're going to allow God to use you through that, and you're not going to get in the way. You're just going to be an instrument of righteousness. The trap our enemy has over this world is trying to analyze and understand and debate everything through science and technology. 
but we're never going to be able to explain every detail of creation through science and technology. They're useful, but they're never going to deliver the meaning to life. These things will never aid us in having God all figured out. So that is because of our humanity that we bring to God, because of our choosing Him, because of our lack of understanding but allowing God to give us His wisdom, we also must bring our faith. In our lack of understanding, we are called to live by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it is impossible, impossible to please God without faith. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary doesn't understand how these marvelous things are going to happen. But she trusted the word of the angel because she understood God's word, what we call the Old Testament, that angels were messengers of God. And so she trusted the angel was delivering her a message directly from the Lord. When we study scripture, there's going to be things we're going to encounter which we're not going to understand. You ever had that moment? There's going to be things in scripture we're going to understand but wish we didn't because <laughs> we know what God is calling us to do. But our belief as God's people is God's word is given to us so we can trust it because it is profitable to us, all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture, all of it, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, that the man of God may be, be complete and equipped for every good work. As God's people, we place our faith, our trust, and our submissive heart into the Word of God because it is the voice of God and the power of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit which saved us in the first place. So if we're going to trust it for our eternal salvation, we can learn and we have to trust it every day of our life. But that requires faith. So here's Mary. Her life is right in front of her, right? She knows the plan that she has, the plan that her parents most likely put in place. And now the angel delivers a word from the Lord and she has to make a decision. She can either accept God's commission and plan upon her life, or she can reject it. She had a choice. But if Mary chose not to accept God's calling upon her life, let's just play that game. What if Mary said no? Well, in her society, she's still going to get married. She most likely will have children, even though children are from God, but she might. We know she did have children with Joseph. If she said no in her society, she would still be looked at as a blessed woman because she's married to a righteous man. The people would look at her and say she is living a life of accomplishment. She would take care of the home. She would raise the children. She would do the work that she was called to do as the mother and the wife. And then she would get the end of her life and it would be good. We would call that a good life. But then she would also live in a place that some of us are living right now. The what if. What if I would have answered God's call to do that? What if I didn't live in fear, but accepted God's guidance to lead me to where that is? If you're living in what, a, what if, then the reality is, is you're living in regret. And if Mary said no, she would have had regret. But the flip side of this, in answering God's calling upon her life, it was going to change Mary's life dramatically. I mean, just think about it today. If a young teenage girl were to get pregnant today that we knew, how would we respond? 
I'm sure we show them love. I'm sure we show them grace. I, we want to encourage them and, and come beside them and, and, and lift them up in prayer. But I bet many of us would be sad. Many of us may, may think, man, she's so young. She had so much more life. We, we may even go and question her parents and their parenting skills and how they raised up this girl. We may even cast judgment upon her, saying, whoa, she, you know, she's just wild and free. How would we respond? If a girl came to us and said she was pregnant, however we respond, even in our culture today, we have to go back to Jesus' day in the context of that and understand that it is amplified. To be pregnant in Mary's day, in the Gospel of Luke right here, to be pregnant before you were married was a sin according to the Word of God, and the punishment was a stoning. Death. In the Jewish culture, Mary becoming pregnant while not officially married would have deemed her life a waste, would have brought shame upon herself and shame upon her family. For Mary to choose God's plan here in the Gospel of Luke to give birth to his son while still being unmarried would have ruined her marriage before it legally started. Her society, her friends, her family, her future husband would have deemed her an adulteress. She would have been cut off from the people of God, and the people of God would have believed she's even cut herself off from the presence of God. She would have shattered all of her future dreams. Mary's decision in this moment to be obedient held more weight than what we see in the Scriptures. Mary's making a life-altering decision, and this is what we do when we bring a life of faith. Faith will change us if we live by it. About 20 years ago, I can't believe it's been 20 years, I was in my junior year at SBU. I had about a year and a half before I was going to be in the student teaching process. I was studying to be a middle school English teacher. I wanted to do that, and then I would go and I would coach football because, you know, that was my plan. Year and a half away. And I go on this mission trip to Corpus Christi, my first ever mission trip I've ever been on. And we go down there, and on the second night... I was asked to do a sermon, which I never thought I would ever do at that stage in my life, but I did. And at the end of that sermon, the altar call was flooded with people coming down to accept Jesus Christ. And I clearly heard God say in my, to my heart, this is where I want you. I need you and I'm calling you to the ministry. But I, I had to make a choice. Just like we all have to do when God speaks directly to our hearts and tells us to do something or not to do something, we have to make a choice. We can either stay with our plan or we can get on God's plan. It's probably obvious which choice I made, right? But I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it from Corpus Christi all the way back to southern Missouri. But now as I look back and I see that when I got on God's plan, his plan was far better than the plan that I had made. It was not all understandable. There were people in my own life, in my own family, who were questioning, why in the world would you change your major when you are a year and a half from being done with college? That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. But I knew without a doubt God was calling me into the ministry. Here's what happened. In that extra year and a half that I had with school, I was on the five-and-a-half-year program. It's a blessed program. 
But in an extra year and a half, I met Jamie. Obviously, with my wife. We have kids. And so I see that God expanding my college career actually opened the door for me to find the love of my life. And we've gone through many adventures together in ministry. Some are good, some are heartbreaking, but through it all we've seen that God has been faithful. And so this is what we bring when we bring to God. We bring a willingness to live by faith. Part of having a choice is to be willing. Mary's willingness was to live beyond the things that she could understand, the things she could see, the things she could even fathom. Mary brought a willingness to not only have faith, but to live by that faith. The Bible tells us it is our faith in God and living by our faith in God and His Word and what He's telling us to do. That is what produces good works. In the book of James, James, by the way, was one of Mary's children, wrote in chapter 2, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 24, he says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And though James was taught this, through the teachings of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, I wonder if he looked back and had this concrete evidence through his mother, Mary. The Apostle Paul also understood this when he wrote, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus teaches us to produce good works, but in order to produce good works, we have to have a willingness in our life to live by faith to trust God, submit to God, obey to God. And God is never going to force us to do this. He's never going to force you and me to live by faith. We have to choose. Think about faith. It doesn't mean that we just believe in God. James will also write, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Faith means we live out, we trust, and we submit to God's word because in doing so, we're trusting and submitting to God himself. In Mary's faith, this is what deemed her faithful. We have to understand that God already knew that Mary was going to accept the challenge, even though she's going to have a lack of understanding and not fully comprehend. That's why the angel begins with greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And even though Mary didn't have it all figured out, even though she couldn't rationalize it out in her mind, I think we all try to do that sometimes. God, how's this going to work? How am I going to do that? What's this going to look like? What's this going to impact? Mary came to understand what the angel said, that nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary, in faith, willingly decided to be a part of God's plan. It wasn't hers. She was going to struggle with it. Yet despite her lack of understanding and her confidence in her heart, she said, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm in. God calls us out of our comfort zone so we can live by faith. He calls you and me out of our comfort zone so we can live by faith. Because when we're out of our comfort zone, we have to trust him and we can only turn to him. Turn back to my changing of majors. Many of y'all know that I was, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, and growing up as a pastor's kid, I don't know if Ethan gets these sort of questions, but I, I got them all the time. You're going to be a pastor like your daddy? Emphatically, I would say no. No way. And, and there, there was two main reasons for that, and they both may surprise you. The first reason, when someone would ask me if I was going to be a pastor like my daddy, is in that period of my life, and even sometimes today, I was scared to death of public speaking. I did not want to talk in front of people. I was kind of that shy kid that hung in the back. 
And so I knew that's not all pastors do. This isn't all pastors do. But I knew that was one thing people saw them do. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of that physical thing that people were aware of what pastors do and having to peak, speak publicly in front of people. Another reason I would say no emphatically, and this may surprise some of you as well, is that I'm actually an introvert. And um, Jason is an extrovert. <laughs> okay, I, I'm an introvert. I, I like being around people. Um, I like being around groups, unless it's like Silver Dollar City during Christmas season. But I, I, as an introvert, if you're an introvert, when you're around groups of people, it actually wears you down. It makes you tired. Whereas extroverts feed off of the group activity. And so I knew as a pastor that as a pastor, you have to be around people. You can't pastor without people, right? I mean, you're, you're just kind of talking. <laughs> and so and as a pastor... It's good if people like to be around you, and so they want to be around you. And, and as an introvert, I knew this was going to be a challenge, but I, I saw my weaknesses. I saw my doubts. I saw what I was fearful of, and I told God, all right, God, if this is your plan for my life, I'm in because you're going to have to do it. And that's living by faith. God, I can't do this. And I have that same prayer every Sunday. God, I... I can't do this. I, I, I understand what Paul said when he says he's the worst of sinners. I, I am not worthy to be an instrument of your righteousness. And God says, you're right. But I can use your weaknesses that I might be glorified. So when God called me to the ministry, I wasn't on board immediately. But I knew it was his plan for my life. And God reminds me time and time again, even sometimes, sometimes ministry is tough. Sometimes it's draining. Would you agree, Jason? And God has to remind me, you know what? Mike, I called you into this. And until I call you out, this is where you're to be. Living by faith and trusting that God doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. Nowhere in Scripture, when you see people living by faith, will you see that their life was easy and smooth and peaceful. Living by faith doesn't always mean that we're going to be healthy. It, always, it doesn't mean that people are always going to like us. It doesn't mean that your prayers are always going to be answered the way you think they should be answered. It does not mean, even though some people say it should, but it does not mean that you're going to be blessed with a large bank account and a big house and a nice car. Living by faith is scary and it's hard. And I'm sure Mary was wrestling with this fear on how is God's plan going to impact her life and her upcoming marriage. Yet despite, she was willing to trust God and live by faith. And that's what we're called to do. Be willing to live by faith and trust God. So we bring our humanity, we bring our choice, we bring our lack of understanding, our un inability to figure everything out. We, we bring our faith and our willingness to live by it. And finally, we see we bring our willingness to serve. For Mary, being a servant of God in his capacity was going to change her life. It was going to make her, her future husband, and the people around them uncomfortable. But when Mary says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She's saying, all right, I don't understand it. I'm going to have faith and live by faith. I'm not going to try to figure it all out, and I'm going to make the choice to be all in. 
I'm going to be willing and ready to accomplish God's plan through my life by being a servant. And that word servant is, means bond servant. What Mary was stating is that she understood in this moment who owned her and who she belonged to. That's what it means to be a servant. That we are owned by God and we belong to God, therefore he's in charge of our life. So as we come to Christmas, God wants to bring our lack of understanding. We lay it at his feet so we can willingly live by faith to serve him. This is the gift we can bring God who needs nothing from us but desires something from us. So questions this morning for us is what are we bringing a Savior? Do we have a servant heart? Are we living by faith? Are we trusting God's leadership over our life? The only way Mary could do this is because Mary's heart was aligned with God. She gave God her allegiance. And maybe that's where some of us are this morning. This is why Jesus Christ was born. This is why we call it the gospel, the good news. Is that God created you in his image and his likeness for a relationship with him. The issue we all have is we have that free will, that choice. And so we choose sin at times. And it's that sin that separates you from God. And if that sin is not dealt with, you'll be separated from God into eternity. The Bible says that we cannot work our sin out of our life. We cannot work for our salvation. We don't even have the ability to earn our salvation. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus was born. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus Christ was born, lived a perfect life so he could die for our sins. And he did that on the cross, and then he rose again from the grave to show that he has power over sin, he has power over death, and he can grant forgiveness to anyone who placed their faith and trust in him alone. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you do not have eternal life. Heaven is not your reward, but that can change in this moment. This could be the day of your salvation. If you need to accept Jesus, I'm going to be standing down here. I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I need to be forgiven. It begins by admitting you're a sinner, believing Jesus died for that sin and rose again, and then confessing him as Lord. And that's what I'm inviting you to do. But maybe you're here and you've already done that. And God has been laying something on your heart, but you haven't been living it in faith. You haven't been trusting him. You need to come and kneel before the Father and repent, or, or kneel at your chair and repent. This time of invitation is time where we're not just hearers of his word, but doers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you came to save us. Lord, thank you that you love us so much, you give us the ability, the opportunity to choose this great love you have for us. And Father, there's someone here this morning, I know you know every heart, who is not your child. Father, we pray that your spirit would come upon them and give them that revelation. And Lord, today they would be changed eternally. Lord, as your children, we want to be faithful. We want to be submissive. We want to be obedient. You say that our, our obedience to your commands is, is how we show that we actually love you. And Lord, if there's some of my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning who've had something laying upon their heart, but they have not been willing to live by faith in that, Father, we thank you for your forgiveness, but Lord, just empower them by your Spirit. Encourage them and strengthen them to step out in faith. We don't have to understand it all. We just have to trust you in this moment. 
Forgive me if I got in your way. Erase it from every mind if, if, if something out of my mouth was not from you. In this moment, we ask your kingdom and will be done and that you alone be glorified. We pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ.